All right. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. Now, you all smile. Don't be all down, okay? I've, I'm tired of watching the news. I'm tired of reading the papers, and I'm ready to delete all social media. So let's smile. We've got everything in the world to be happy of this morning. We've got a God that loves us. We live in a blessed land. We still live in the greatest place to live in the world, folks. I want you to hear me this morning, okay? We are blessed here in America. We have so much. We are in a land of plenty. We're in a land of prosperity. And God has been gracious to us. He's gracious. And God is still God. So you can smile this morning because we know Christ Jesus is our Savior. Amen. That's what's important. We know Him and what He's done for us. I hope you have a little handout because I gave you something this week that was I thought would be worthy to stick in the page of your Bible that if you ever got discouraged... Okay, you could pull that out and go to some verses and you can figure out just exactly what you need to do uh, when you are discouraged. So, Josh, I am discouraged because this is not working the way I wanted it to. But nevertheless, I'm going to skip right on through and see if I can get there. It's going to make me go all the way through it. So I'll let you, you can't because I have full control, Donna. And this is what you get when you get new software. You get things that you don't know what you're doing but I think I figured it out all right I want to share six things this morning with you in our series in Daniel six things that you can remember when you are in the lion's den you know the lion's den in Daniel is probably the best known story in the Old Testament but sometimes we miss uh, what exactly that means to us so I want to preach this morning and share with you six encouraging things that the lion's den uh, means. Things to remember when you're in the lion's den. Here's number one, okay? Number one, when you're in the lion's den of life, sometimes your relationship with Jesus will cause problems with other people. Sometimes your relationship with Jesus Christ will cause problems with other people. It's just a fact of life, and it's how it is. So, What do we do with that? Well, Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 on the screen, and you follow with me as I read. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. So you know what happened. We read last week that Darius came in. He defeated uh, the Babylonian king. He set up his own kingdom. And now he has appointed 120 people to go out and be governors or senators in the kingdom. And he's put three high officials over them. One of those three officials was Daniel. Now, this is important because what we're going to see here is there was going to be a conspiracy. In other words, people in the workplace with Daniel decided to have a meeting and send out emails and text messages and group chats, and they didn't include him. Now, by the way, if you have never been part of that, then you're missing out on something in life that will uh, change you, may I say. Have you ever walked in and opened the door and heard someone talking about you? And they didn't know you were there listening. Have you ever heard that? By the way, this is a good reminder to all of us to watch the mouth. Because it will catch you. 
But if you've ever opened the door or something and you have heard somebody talk about you, it is an embarrassing thing. Let me tell you one of the most embarrassing stories which got it all going. One day there was some strife inside our police department and there was some fighting over a position of who was going to get what. One of the high-up people, and I won't say another word, was driving somewhere to another county to attend a meeting. He left his radio on, and unbeknownst to him, he had taken his coat and all of his stuff and pushed it down on his microphone. It keyed up his mic so that the whole department, the whole dispatch, all the taped lines and everything could hear it. And he began to talk about such and such and such and such and such and such. This went on for almost an hour. And this man was just laying out with the person beside him in the seat what exactly was going on and what he thought about everybody. And let me tell you, I was working that day and I wanted to cut it off, but I just couldn't. <laughs> it's rather remarkable what happened. That's exactly what happened to Daniel. So notice what happens when he, he gets the king's favor. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Daniel was what we would call a blameless man. When they went to look for his character, he hadn't stolen money, uh, no lewdness, no immorality, nothing could be brought up that had any substance at all with this man. And by the way, that's how God calls every Christian to live our life, isn't it? We are to live it in such a way that we don't have to fear. But notice the, the next part of the passage, because this is where the point comes from. Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You see that? We can't find any complaint with this man's character, and the only way we're going to be able to trap him is by his relationship with his God. Sometimes your personal relationship with Christ is going to cause you problems with others, and that's exactly what happened to Daniel. Notice what they said. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the lion's den. Now, I want to show you something. All the high officials, you see that? Uh, I'm sorry, but you left out one. Daniel wasn't even part of this conspiracy. One of the three heads of all these people was completely left out and they set him up. All the officials of the kingdom said that you should do this, O king. Well, now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went up to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and a plea before his God. 
Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or any man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, I'm going to interpretively read here, Old Daniel, you know, that one that you like so well. Old Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, he's not even one of us, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. You know, isn't it awful when you make a request or a law and then it comes back to bite you? I hate to keep using these analogies, but they are so practical. I can remember... At times on different streets in the town of Christiansburg, people would just call the department. This was back in the day when you call right to the department and just raise cane about people speeding down the street. Now, I love to write speeding tickets, and I hope and pray I didn't write you one, but I, I love to write them uh, because it was, it was, it was kind of challenging. But anyway, everybody speeds. Everybody speeds, so don't, don't. But there was something about catching people in neighborhoods that were driving really fast that really got me. I didn't care about 81. That, that was so boring. I mean, it gets boring driving 70 on 81, doesn't it? But in these neighborhood streets, when you drive fast and there's kids playing, that is a serious issue. Well, one time we had some people that called the department and called the department and called the department. We, there's no police, but nobody will come here. So I was assigned that street. Well, let me tell you something. I went down and I pulled in. And the driveway that told us we could run radar in their, in their driveway, I sat there, and a person come off the hill about 15 to 18 miles over the speed limit, and I popped them, and they pulled right in the driveway where I was sitting. The person got out and said, I want you to know something. I am the one who called. I am the one who made the complaint, and you are not going to write me a ticket. And so I had to explain to them, you know, sir, ma'am, I'm not going to tell you who it was. doesn't matter if you called or if you didn't. You were speeding 18 miles an hour over the speed limit. I'm going to have to write you a ticket. Oh, they were furious with me. But I'm the one that called. This is exactly how King Darius felt. He had established a law, and when he established it, the guy that he loved the most was caught in a trap. And guess what happened? He was busted. Now, what does the king do? The king's made the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. Once they made the law, it couldn't be changed. 30 days had to run out. So the king grabs Daniel and casts him into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Da Daniel, I love you. You've been faithful to me. I hope your God protects you. And then they rolled a stone and laid it over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
You know, Warren Wiersbe, a very famous Christian writer, talked about your relationship causing problems with others. Listen to what he writes. Many a faithful Christian has been bypassed for promotion or a salary increase just because somebody higher up didn't like him. But the workers' rewards will one day come from the hand of the Lord. However, it is better for you to maintain your integrity and testimony than it is to sacrifice them just to keep your job. Daniel wasn't willing to change his mind in what he would do. So the first thing that we think about is sometimes your relationship with Christ will cause problems uh, with others. Now, when we think back through the Scripture about what this looks like, you know, there are multiple, multiple occasions where problems and, and so forth come in life. For example, Joseph was disliked by his brothers. And what was the result of that? Joseph was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery down in the land of Egypt. Moses was disliked by his own people, the people he gave the law to. What did they end up doing to Moses? They ended up turning against him and trying to thwart his leadership. We look on in the New Te- Old Testament, we find Jacob, a man who God had granted to go into another land who had multiple children, and he was put in a place with a father-in-law that he couldn't get along with. You know why his father-in-law couldn't get along with him? Because he was about as big of a rascal as Jacob was. And God put him right there with a man named Laban to teach Jacob what it was going to be like. When you play tricks on God in life, God will play tricks on you. Everything you did to your father, Jacob, and your mother, old Uncle Laban's going to do to you ten times worse. We call it the school of Uncle Laban. And that's exactly where Jacob went. But perhaps the greatest instance of departure and suffering because of a relationship with God came in the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus claimed that God was his father. And what did the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders of Israel do? They tried to kill him, especially when he told them, the words that I speak to you are the words of my father. And they said, kill the man. So, Scripture tells us as believers to prepare for problems. Did you know that? Your relationship with Christ will cost you. Listen to what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Those are pretty strong words. In other words... When you come to know Christ as Savior, your life changes, your priorities change, what you believe changes. And let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes that drives a dividing wedge between us. And that is exactly what happened in the case of Daniel, and that's oftentimes what happens in our life. Jesus said in John fifteen twenty, Remember the word I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle John in Revelation 1, 9 says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why was John put on Patmos? It wasn't because he was on vacation. 
It wasn't because he had rowed a cruise liner out and got off and decided to get out and stretch his legs. He was exiled to an island where no one was and left there to wither and to die because of, his, because of the word of God, he says, and the testimony of Jesus. What's the point? Sometimes your relationship with Christ will cause you problems with others. Notice the second thing that I want you to see. By the way, before I get off that, let me just share something someone shared with me this week. And that is our thinking here in America. One person wrote this, and I think it's worth repeating. The comfortable experience of Christians in the West has actually been an anomaly. What is an anomaly? Just It's not normal. It doesn't happen. I mean, this is just something that's unlike anything else. It, Western Christianity just is nowhere else you can see this. Listen to what they write. Because of the Christian heritage of the Western civilization combined with democratic freedoms and historic rule of law, Western Christians have largely been left alone for their faith. Even today, as Western nations become increasingly post-Christian and even anti-Christian, the opposition experienced by most Christians goes little beyond mockery. That's about as bad as it gets for us. Mockery. However, there are signs that this protected status may be changing. If it continues to do so, remember this, it will simply put Western Christians in the same boat as their brothers and sisters all over the world. Did you hear that? Today in Islamic, Hindu, and communist parts of the world, being a follower of Jesus means at best losing your job and being rejected by your family. At worst... It can mean imprisonment, beating, and even death. These things are being experienced all over the world right now by our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll share this one little story with you. One time I was teaching a module. I won't tell you where because we're recorded. But a person came in and sat in one of the corners where we were. And they had bandages all over their legs and their arms. Had no clue who they were. There was some ruckus that happened while the instruction went and the person fled out one place and somebody came and fled. And Long story short, this person was a convert of Islam. And the secret police in that country were after him to capture and arrest him and then to carry out Islamic torture law on him because he had become a follower of Jesus. They had actually caught him and tied him up by his feet and hung him upside down for days and days in an old cold basement. And he had escaped somehow. And he fled to where one of his friends were to try to find some refuge, but they found him. And they were coming in to get him. As that class was going on, some discussion came up, and somebody asked the question, you know, what do we do? And it was interesting because some of the Christians in there said, throw him out in the streets. Because if we keep him here, they'll come in and beat us. Other Christians said, absolutely not. We don't care if they beat us or what they do. You let him stay here. And there was a big division among the Christian body. And I just sat back as an ignorant, ignorant Westerner who had never experienced any of this. This has been years ago. And I just sat back and watched and Sound upgrade. Did you all know that? <laughs> there you go, Josh. 
This is part of a humbling process, by the way. Every time you switch things, uh, you always run into some kind of difficulties, don't you? Okay, so Daniel's first point, there are some things worth living and dying for. Prayer was an essential part of Daniel's life, and he was willing to live or die for. That's the blank on the second. So what, what could have Daniel done? You think about this. Look at verse 10 very, very closely again. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. The text says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Now sometimes we read over that very fast. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Somewhere between passing the law and this time in Daniel's life, he knew it was there. And now he had to make a decision. Was he going to stand and do what he thought was necessary or was he going to bow? You know, let me remind you folks, there are some things that are worth living and dying for. And for Daniel, his prayer life and his relationship with God were worth dying for. As we begin to think about what are things that are worth dying for in life, there is this issue that is known in theology as doctrinal taxonomy. Now, that's a great big word, which means for, tell me what's the most important. Now, when you think about this, and you start thinking about things important that are important, there are levels of issues and levels of actions that we take on certain issues. And here is a list of five things to help us in life to think about what's worth living and dying for. Number one, we have to ask the question, what biblical truths should believers legitimately legitimately die for you know what are the things that scripture addresses wholly fully completely and they are absolutely worth losing your life over what what are those uh, i can think of one that's right off the top and that is the gospel the gospel of jesus christ is it is it worth dying for would you die for the gospel message yes or no and so these are things that we oftentimes have to struggle with in our life is the gospel so important to you that you would be willing to give your life for it and i'm all tangled up up here i'm about to give my life to this mic aren't i <laughs> thing had a chokehold on me i think sean did that on purpose <laughs> so there are some biblical truths that we are to die for notice the second thing though there are some biblical truths that we have to divide over did you know this morning there are some wonderful Christian people in our community, and we love them to death. We pray for their church. We pray to encourage them. But there are some beliefs that they hold that would cause us never to let them come in our pulpit and speak to you. Do you think that's awful of me? I don't, I don't know if you do or not. But I'm the one who has to stand before Jesus and give an answer for that. And this morning, there are some pulpits that I would be very cautious about going into uh, to identify and connect my ministry with theirs. And that's just something personal. So there are some issues in the Christian life that, that we have to decide that, you know, it's going to cause us to divide or separate from each other. Let me give you one good one, okay? And I'm, I'm at that place in life, folks, where it really doesn't matter. I, sometimes I just say things and people say, now that, that might come back and bite you. Well, pull out the teeth. It is really hard for me to partner with someone in ministry who doesn't have the same view on sanctity of life that I do. 
Now, I'm not saying that they're a terrible, horrible person. I'm not even saying that they're not saved. But I'm saying when, when they support either euthanasia, which means killing a person after they're in, a, in an older state or in a state of lifelessness, instead of letting God take it, they go and inject them and let them kill them, okay? I think it applies for the old as well as the young. Or, or going in the womb and taking the, the life of an innocent child. I, that, I have to draw a line for there. I, I cannot partner with that. That would be something that I would absolutely have to divide over. And there are things in your life that you have to decide. What would you divide over? Third, there are things that are worthy of debate and discuss. In other words, they're not important enough to die for. They're not important enough to divide over, but we need to talk about these. We can debate them. And we can even discuss them, you know, wh- whichever route we have to go. But that, that has a little bit of weight. Then there are some issues where we just have to personally decide, this is my personal preference, my, my conviction, and this is what I like. For example, you know, should I wear a tie to church on Sunday? Do I have to wear a dress to church on Sunday? Please don't, please don't make your personal decision anybody else's. Because this, is, this has absolutely little to no weight in it at all. This is a personal conviction of yours. You know, do you like drums? Do you not like drums? And we could apply this throughout all of the workplace, all of life. And then finally, there are some issues that believers should not even discuss. They are so ridiculous that we are not going to discuss them. Now, I've been here 10 years. The first three or four years that I came to Trinity... There were, I, I would get comments, I would get letters from people on the outside of the community because our church had a certain name and we didn't do things like other churches around here that had certain names. And they would say, you're not this, you're not that, you're not. And some of the issues they would bring up, I just got to where I just stopped even responding to them. I, I, they're just not even worth discussing. But the point here, back to the point, there are some things in life, point number one, that are worth living and worth dying for. And what you as a believer have to decide is what are they, and then you have to do them. Okay? Number three, you need to remember this. When you are in the, dra- the, the lion's den, when you're there, God is able to deliver you from any circumstance that He chooses. He is able. You know, I told the group this morning, if I were a preacher instead of a teacher, if I had the gift of exhortation, and that was my spiritual gift, I would have came in this morning like a fireball, and I would have went right to this passage right here, and I would have preached this. Look, look at it. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God who you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I mean, that verse desires and requires screaming. Is your God able? Can you, can you picture this? He walks over to the den. He can't see a thing. Daniel! That God that you were willing to go in there and die for, you crazy thing, was that God that you can't see and you haven't heard that you had to trust by faith? Is that God able to deliver you? Then Daniel said to the king, 
O King, live forever. My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouths. That's plural, by the way. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before Him and also before you, O King. I have done no harm. My God is able. God is able to deliver you from any circumstance that He chooses. Now, hear me closely, church. Hear me closely. Do not build a life principle on the fact that God will rescue you every time you're in the lion's den. As a matter of fact, if you search most of the Bible, and especially the New Testament epistles when it deals with Christians and suffering, you'll discover that God pushes you in the lion's den. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was sent to the desert to be tested by the devil for 40 days, who led him there? Have you ever read that passage closely? Did the devil lead him there to tempt him? Absolutely not. The Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness that he might be tested for 40 days. Sometimes God chooses to let us stay in the lion's den. The question becomes why? We don't know every answer, but here's the illustration I like to give. Just like the body, if there's never any exertion in muscles, if there's never any sweat, any pain, you'll never have muscles. You'll just be flab. You can't sit around on the recliner, watch TV, and eat piles and piles of sugar and bonbons and expect to have a fit body. You're not going to get in shape. You're going to have to get out and have some pain, some suffering, some anguish, some exercise, because that's the only way it comes. And let me tell you something. The Christian's faith has to be tested. It has to be strengthened. If you never have problems in life, you will not have a strong Christian faith. Let me just, let me just put it right down where it goes. I am not impressed at all with people who live puffy, fluffy Christian lives. No problems, no pain, no suffering, no death, no anguish, no hardship, no persecution. Let me tell you what that means, folks. That is not the sign of a strong Christian. That's the sign of a Christian who has never been tested. Now, life works like this. We as people love to compare ourselves with the example of other people. And we like to take, tell God, well, God... Why, why does that person have that and I don't? And here's why. Because God has His plan for your life and He has His plan for their life and they're totally separate. And if you don't believe me, write down John chapter 20 and 21. Jesus was talking to the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter and He told John that He was going to live a long time. And Peter came down and said, Well, Lord, that's no fair. That's no fair. You, you told me I'm going to die and he gets to live a long time. You know what Jesus said? Peter, close your mouth and you follow me. Don't you worry about him. You follow me. And if I want to put you in the dungeon or I want to put you in chains or I want to end your life early, Peter, you follow me. And you let John worry about following me. You are two totally separate people. In this particular circumstance, God delivered Daniel. But I want to tell you something, folks. There are times in the New Testament God didn't. John the Baptist went out on the right beside the sides of the Jordan River 
and he preached repentance from sin. He went right straight into King Herod and told him he was nothing but an adulterer. You know what Herod said? Arrest that man. His wife that he called an adulterer with Herod said, I want his head on a platter. And Herod had to cut his head off. Do you know while John the Baptist was in the prison waiting to get his head chopped off, he sent some disciples and said, I want you to go find that Jesus man and I want you to ask him if he's really the Messiah and the King or should we start looking for another because things ain't working like they used to. Uh, They ain't working like I preached. It was easy to preach out there, but they're getting ready to cut my head off, and I want you to remind him of that. You know what? The disciples went back. They went back and told Jesus and said, you know, John the Baptist is really questioning who you are because you haven't delivered him. You know what Jesus did? He said, there has not been a greater man among men than John the Baptist. You know, I, I want you to stop for a minute. What did John the Baptist just do to Jesus? He questioned whether or not he was who he said he was. You know, there are a lot of believers in life when trouble comes and pain and suffering. They question who Jesus is. God, are you really who you say you are? What did, John, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Well, I can't believe that old wheat thing. Old long hair and beard anyway. I can't believe it. I knew he'd turn from me. Is that what Jesus said? Nope. Jesus said, you go back and tell John, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the blind are receiving their sight, and blessed is the one who doesn't stumble because he doesn't understand my ways. Blessed is he. So let me tell you something. When you're in the lion's den and things happen in your life, and cancer comes your way, or a job loss comes your way, or somebody dies out from under you, don't you quit on God. Don't you quit on the Lord. You dig in there and you get to know Him, and you get to trust Him, and you tell God that you need Him to make Himself real to you, and you need Him to walk beside you. Because that is what our God does. So God can deliver, and He may deliver, but... He doesn't always. Now, look at point number four. And this this is so precious here. God's presence is more valuable than God's deliverance. I personally believe this is what God tries to teach the Christian in life. That God's presence is more valuable than God's deliverance. There was a first grader who stood in front of his classroom to make a speech. You all know first graders are little old bitty fellows and They just say whatever they want to. And this little boy got up in class and pulled his shirt back and stuck his chest out. And they were telling what they wanted to be when they grew up. And so he stood up in front of the class and he said, When I grow up, I'm going to be a great lion tamer. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have all kinds of lions. And when I walk in the cage and they're all roaring, I'm going to tell them to be quiet and they're all going to stop. They're all going to stop. They're all going to stop. And then he started thinking. And then he said, but of course my mommy will be there. Why did the little boy want his mommy to be there? Because his mommy was the biggest rock in his life. 
And he knew that if his mother was there, he could face whatever, even if it was a lion. And in his little first grade mind, his mommy could whip the lion. You know why? Because she was Mama Bear. Y'all seen the little shirt, Mama Bear. This is the kind of confidence children place in their parents. Did you know that? This is the kind of confidence that kids place in their parents. That's why it's so important that we be faithful to them. But I want you to know something. God's presence with Daniel in the lion's den meant more to him than anybody else. Look very closely at verse 22. Notice what happens. Daniel says here that uh, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. I get this picture in my mind. They throw Daniel in there and here's the angel of the Lord sitting there waiting on Daniel in the lion's den. Hey, Daniel. You don't know me. Let me introduce myself. And I'm sure Daniel's going. He says, you know, these lions over here, don't worry about them. There's Trixie and there's Red. And over there's Fred in the corner. They're just as calm as they can. But they're not going to hurt you all night. You're, one of them, you're gonna, the one has got the biggest belly, you can go over and lay up against him and he'll make a pillow for you tonight. But Daniel, let's talk. Let's talk, Daniel. And this angel of the Lord shut the lion's mouth Almighty God's presence was with him. You know, I have talked to many people in life that have went through problems. I can remember one particular person that talked to me about cancer. This was their, let me, let me spiritualize a little bit here, that was their lion's den. They had cancer for some unknown reason. It struck their life. And, of course, everybody's trying to tell them why they had cancer. And not one soul knew, not even the doctor. It said when they went in to take the test... Something strange happened because they would be put in a room with other people who were enduring cancer treatments and they would get to share their faith in God while they were given them the injections. And they would sit there and talk about the faithfulness of God even though they were suffering, they didn't understand why, and there was a calmness about them. And this person began to tell me that they began for the first time in their life to have an audience in which they could talk to Jesus about. And this one particular person said, you know, had they never had cancer, they'd have probably never shared their faith publicly as a Christian. But during that time and that trial in their life, they began to talk about the faithfulness of God. And it impacted the lives of other people, so much so that people could tell the difference between a Christian suffering with cancer and those who weren't believers and had no hope. You want to know why, folks? Because God's presence in the midst of the lion's den, is more important than God's deliverance out of it. We don't like being in the lion's den, but what God wants us to do is quit looking at the deliverance and start looking at the presence because that is what gets us through life. Number five, vengeance belongs to God and He knows how and when to get it done. I started to put get her done. That's the new, new line today. Get her done. Well, God knows how and when to get her done. Look in verse 23 and 24. It gets pretty graphic now for those of you of weak stomachs. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel 
were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. Now notice this. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Have you all ever seen a vicious animal? I told the people in the first service that when I was a boy, we caught a raccoon in a, in a trap. And if you've ever fooled with a raccoon, you better watch. Because Jerry Clower knew what he was talking about when the coon would whip all the dogs. They're mean. We were trying to let that coon out of the trap. That thing liked to eat us up as kids. It's a wonder we've got fingers. We finally let that coon out of the trap, and a dog came over there to get on that raccoon. He was mad anyway. That trap didn't do anything but make him mad. He tore that dog up and then walked off. The coon walked off and climbed up a tree. Big old coon. You get an injured animal or an angry animal mad, that's exactly what happened here. And those people, you watch, they fall down in that pit, and those lions start going, whoop, chomp, 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 chomp. And Daniel's sitting there watching that. And before they hit the bottom, the text says, broke all their bones in pieces. That wasn't something you'd want to see. But you know what happened? The great reversal in Scripture happened. Those who were on top in the world are now on the bottom in the pit. You know the way it looks in life. In most countries besides America, Christians are on the bottom. They have no jobs, you know, main jobs in government. They have no important roles. They seem like they're in the bottom. But when Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ sits on the throne of Jerusalem, it's all going to change for eternity. Then God will be on the throne and His people will be serving. And do you know where the tormentors and the people who persecute God's people will be? They will be in a bad place of suffering and torment. And by the way, that's why it's important as God's people that we do what Jesus said. See, we don't understand bless those who persecute you. We don't understand that. But when we understand this theological point that one day the table is going to be turned and they're going to be suffering throughout all eternity if they reject Christ as their Savior, can't we live a few days on this life loving our enemies? Can't we? I mean, who, who knows? Maybe this person will go, you know, I've treated that Christian so rotten, they ought to hate me, and for some reason they keep treating me nice. And I can't stand it. It'd be a whole lot easier to treat them mean if they'd get mean back with me. And they don't realize that you are loving your enemies and praying for those who are evil to you. And as the Apostle Paul says, you are returning good for evil. Because that is how God changes things. And then finally, number six, faithfulness to Jesus while in the den of life can change the world. Here is a Medo-Persian king who sees Daniel be delivered, and look what he writes, some of the best theology in the Bible. He says about Daniel's God, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. That's pretty good theology, folks. Coming from a pagan king. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. 
and he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered throughout the kingdom. Now look at Hebrews 11. The act of Daniel's faith and trusting in God is what shut the lion's mouth. Now let me tell you something miraculous that has taken place today. If I were to pull a map up of Medo-Persia and the place where Daniel was in Babylon, the Medo-Persians were today the modern-day Iranians. You know who the Iranians are? They're those I told you about last week that the leaders of Iran chant death to America, they don't like us. Are you all looking at this headline? This is a headline from one of the most trusted sources in the Middle East. We have heard rumors and bits and pieces about what God's doing around the world. But look at this. Why are so many Iranians? Well over one million. Are you all with me? So far, leaving Islam and becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you why? Nearly one million came to faith in Jesus Christ. Y'all aren't going to believe this by one man. And this one man was a devout Muslim who came to faith in Christ. He used to be a persecutor and a hater of the Jews and the Americans. He was miraculously saved by the glory of the gospel of Christ. One man, and they called him the Billy Graham of the Middle East. This man went out and had a vision to launch a satellite ministry to put his message into the homes of Iranians. By the way, in Iran, it was illegal to have a satellite. But some of them got them anyway. And this man, 24-7, 365 days a year, airs the gospel message and teaches through the Bible. And the people in Iran tuned into the gospel. And I tried to tell you this over and over. They've never heard it before. And over a million Iranians have turned to Jesus. Praise God. Praise the Lord. North Africa this year. I was privileged to teach a class there to a bunch of pastors. Some of them would come from the bushes. Some of them would come from different places. I have to walk to a hut to get internet access. And they were sharing one day about their ministries and their churches. Hundreds and hundreds of people in these tribes. And these people knew that Jesus was God in flesh who died on a cross to pay for our sin. And they preached the gospel to these people and hundreds and hundreds of them got saved. And these pastors came to be trained and told us that we don't have a clue what to tell them except what we get right here, we take straight back and teach them. And the believers, they would say this, the Christians are growing the Christians are growing and they are suffering and they are smiling for Jesus. I sat back. I'm, I'm glad they couldn't see me on, on Zoom. I sat back and listened to some of the testimonies of these students. It just tears at my heart to think that the God of heaven is out in the bushes of Africa and the deserts of Iran saving the hearts and the souls of these little kids, these moms, these dads that had no clue before. And God, through the technology of a satellite, is taking them into His family. I want you to know this morning, Almighty God is working. And when God puts you in the den, there are things you can remember 
because God is big enough to deliver us. He's big enough to deliver this world. And folks, listen to me. We know the last chapter in the book. We win. We win. Father, thank you this morning for Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior who first became the servant. Thank you, Lord, for what he's done in our life. Thank you for your presence in our life. And I pray, oh God, for any person here, maybe listening online, who has had to endure suffering. Lord, may they seek your presence more than they seek the deliverance. And may you make yourself known to them in a powerful way and encourage them as they live in the hard times of life. And we are so thankful to call you our great God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for us. Bless our week, we do pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.